reading and studying and preaching the book of Joshua thus far. And I think it's only going to get better as we continue looking here. And I think this is exactly what our church needs in 2024. Uh, It's been great to see what God's been doing here at our church uh, the last several years, especially the last several years. And uh, while I'm excited about what we've accomplished, uh, I'm more, even more excited about what God's going to do with us. And I think the book of Joshua is exactly the book to help us be poised to do great things for God, both uh, as corporately as a church, but also individually in our lives. Joshua 3. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll look at the first six verses here by way of opening, and then we'll be going verse by verse through the entire chapter tonight. The Bible says, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, Then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For uh, ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Well, the sermon title tonight is this, The Crossing of Jordan. But I have a subtitle tonight. It's this, Forward by Faith. You cannot move forward in the Christian life unless you do it by faith. Many of us are stuck in a rut. We're like that car stuck in a ditch in the snow. We're spinning our tires and we're going nowhere. We've been stuck in the same spot spiritually, battling the same struggles for years, thinking that we'll never get over the hump, we'll never overcome, and God offers you great victory. You can cross your Jordan River, but you must move forward By faith. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible. Thank you for this chapter. Thank you for all that it symbolizes and means. And Lord, I pray tonight all of us would love and value this chapter in the Bible even more than we did when we came in. And Lord, we would go forth and do our best to live, uh, Lord, the truths found within the chapter. Thank you that your word never returns void. It's like the snow and rain that comes down, Lord, on on the mountain and brings forth a harvest. And Lord, uh, your word rains down upon our hearts, and Lord, it brings forth a harvest of good things if we'll allow it. And so, Lord, may our hearts be ready to receive exactly what you have for each one of us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, I want you um, to uh, hold your place in Joshua 3 and make your way over to Hebrews chapter 3 for me. I'm gonna, we're going to look at some verses in Hebrews 3 here in just a moment. There are a handful of vital themes that run through the pages of the Bible. Uh, I believe we have three of those themes right here on our wall. Faith, hope, and charity. We find those in 1 Corinthians 13. Now abideth these three, faith, hope, charity. The greatest of these is charity. And while that's true, faith and hope sure do play a vital role in our Christian life. Faith being a vital theme. Hebrews 11 says, uh, verse 6, Without faith it is impossible To please Him. You cannot please God unless you're walking by and living in faith. 
Uh, Joshua 3 and 4 run parallel with Hebrews 3 and 4. Both deal with faith and what faith has to offer uh, someone who will live in it and abide by it. Unbelief will leave you in the desert of carnality and failure. Unbelief will leave you in the desert of carnality and failure. Faith opens up a path to the land of rest and great spiritual victory. Many Christians are more like the Israelites of Numbers 13 and 14 that declared their unbelief and died in the wilderness. God wants you to move forward by faith so that you can enjoy victory over your sin and great rest. Look with me at Hebrews 3 and notice the correlation between unbelief and desert living and uh, belief and rest in a promised land. Look at Hebrews 3 verse 15. While it is said, today if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses... But with whom was he grieved forty years? For with whom, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believe not, read verse 19 with me, ready? So we see that they could not enter in. Why? Because of unbelief. It was unbelief that caused them to wander around in the wilderness and die there. Their carcasses were buried in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Contrast that, if you would, with Hebrews 4. Look at verse number 5. Hebrews 4, verse 5. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, enter into rest, and they to whom it was first preached, enter not in, enter not into rest, enter not in, why? Because of unbelief. You see that there? Because of unbelief. They lack rest because of unbelief. They are in turmoil or tumult of soul or of spirit. They continue to flounder and fail spiritually. Why? Because of unbelief. Again, verse 7, he limited a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it is read today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts, for if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day. There, uh, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works. Someone here tonight needs to do a deep personal study on this passage and on verse 10. It says, He hath ceased from his own works. As God did from his, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of what, church? Unbelief. Of unbelief. You see here, unbelief is the enemy of rest. Unbelief is the uh, enemy of victory. When we walk uh, with our eyes on ourselves, we fail. When we walk in faith with our eyes on the Lord, we can move forward by faith. Faith that moves forward is never satisfied with the status quo of mediocre or carnal Christian living. 
the Jordan River represented the great divide between living in a desert versus living in a promised land or paradise, a land that flowed with milk and honey, a land with grapes that had to be carried on a stick. Many Christians are content to sit where they are, and as a result, they wallow in their unbelief and never see God do miraculous things. Now, this generation, rather the generation that had escaped Egypt, had enough faith to walk through the Red Sea. They had enough faith that when Moses parted the Red Sea for them, they had enough faith to pass through the Red Sea, but not enough faith to trust God for anything else. What did the, what did the generation that came out of Egypt do? They murmured and complained and rebelled and worshipped false idols and snubbed their nose at God's invitation to inherit a land of promise. And as a result, they had to die in the desert slowly over a 40-year span. They had to eat the same food every day for 40 years because of their unbelief. They had enough faith to go through the Red Sea They did not have enough faith for much of anything else. But their children, oh, their children, their children would learn from mom and dad's mistakes. They learned to put God first. They learned to trust God and move forward by faith. When it was their turn, they got to see God do an incredible miracle. And I would argue that the parting of the Jordan River was a greater miracle than the parting of the Red Sea. I'll show you why a little later in the sermon. They would leave the barren desert, mediocre living behind. And they would move in and inherit a land of great abundance of milk and honey. For much of my Christian life, I lived in the desert. I wandered in carnality. You know, I'd be honest with you, I've had seasons of my Christian life where I've crossed my Jordan River, enjoyed victory in the Lord, only to retreat and backtrack across the Jordan River and into carnality. And some of you, though, that's all you've known. You've not known what God intended when He saved you. You understand crossing through the Red Sea is a picture of salvation. Passing through the blood of Jesus. You had enough faith to do that. But the majority of Christians wander in carnality, struggle with the same pet sins, uh, and, and never overcome, and walk in unbelief, and uh, they, they're constantly upset about the next trial they're going through. Well... Why why is God doing this to me? And why is God bringing this into my life? And how come my life has to be so hard now? Instead of seeing that God is a greater work in in your life, He's trying to do, to bring about, to to refine you, uh, to to shape you like a potter. We're going to look at three thoughts this evening out of Joshua chapter 3. Consider the crossing of Jordan and see faith that moves us forward. Number one tonight, notice the words of faith. The words of faith. Um, five times we see in
Well, when I feel faith, I feel... No, no, no. Faith isn't a massive feeling. Faith is an active force. Faith should drive you to action. You know what Abraham believed, and you know what he did as a result? He left Ur of the Chaldees for the promised land. Moses believed God. And you know what he did? He defied the gods of Egypt and he led uh, the Jews to freedom. There's action. There's action. Faith leads to action. How about Gideon? Gideon believed God. And as a result, he led a small band of Jews to defeat the huge Midianite army. Living faith always leads to action. Say that with me. Living faith always leads to action. Faith does not just leave you sitting there feeling hyper-pious and spiritual. No. Living faith pushes you. It leads you. It draws you into action. You cannot go through Hebrews 11 and find a single name there uh, where they had faith and it did not drive them to do something. James worded it this way. Faith without works is what? It's dead. You can tell me all day you have faith without your works. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. The works is not the faith. But if you have faith, it'll get you off your rear end. It'll get you doing something for the Lord. And here we see these, these, these Israelites... It, it came time for them to leave desert living behind and they had to hear the instructions and then get up and move forward. Letter A, we see the people's preparation. The people's preparation. Most of the sermon tonight is going to be focused in point one because we're going to cover all the way down from verse one down through verse 13. Look with me at verse one. Joshua three, verse number one. The Bible says, and Joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and Lodged there before they passed over. The journey from Shittim to uh, that area of Jordan, uh, we understand, would have been about a 10-mile journey. About a 10-mile journey. How long would it take to get a million-plus people and all their possessions and all their cattle to take a 10-mile trip? It had taken you probably a whole day. So they picked up this million-plus people, all their things and all their cattle, and they marched 10 miles from Shittim to this area of Jordan, and they relocated themselves. Something else in verse 1 I want you to notice. Look there at the beginning of the verse. And Joshua rose up when? Early in the morning. He rose up early in the morning. He didn't sleep in. Look, leaders got to get up. Amen? You have to get up and you have to go do something for the Lord. I love Psalm 63, 1. It says about David. David said, Oh God, thou art my God. Then he said this, Early, early will I seek thee. Early will I seek thee. He didn't roll out of bed at 11 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock in the morning. No, uh, David was up early. And I heard someone say one time, What you do before sunrise, oftentimes, what you do with God before sunrise, oftentimes will determine what you do for God before sunset. And uh, we need uh, folks who get up. By the way, this is an area where I can improve. Amen? Uh, I like to sleep. How many of you here like me? You like to sleep. How many here are so old that you got to get up in the morning to go to the bathroom? Then you're just up, okay? Amen. All right. And so uh, you used to like to sleep, but now you can't because your back hurts and your knees hurt. And you get up and go to the bathroom and you think, I'm up. I'm just going to stay up. But you know what? Yeah, you need folks who get up and walk with God. Joshua was chosen to lead because he had the character to get up in the morning and spend time with the Lord. And um, uh, look at me at verse number two. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark 
of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest, the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, the Ark of the Covenant, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it that ye may know the way by which ye must go. So 2,000 cubits, a cubit is understood to be about 18 inches. So this would have been 3,000 feet. They were to keep a space between them and the ark of 3,000 feet. That's over half a mile of distance they were to keep between them and the ark. We'll get more into the ark of the covenant a little bit later on. But this was the place where God dwelled among his people. They were to reverence that ark of the covenant. They were to hold, uh, uh, they were to hold their distance from it as to respect it, as to understand it. Now, uh, look with me at verse number five. The Bible says, And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. If you mark your Bible, underline those two words, Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, in today's age, with today's technology, we're able to bathe with water daily. In fact, if you want to bathe several times a day, you probably could do that. Uh, but uh, most folks will bathe once a day with water. But that this was not a frequent occurrence in Bible times. In fact, folks generally would go long periods of time and not bathe. And to sanctify yourself meant to wash in water and put on uh, fresh clothing. You may remember that when the scribes would copy down the Bible, they would come to the name of God, Jehovah, and they would put down their pen. They would go and take a bath. They'd put on new clothing. They would get a new pen and very reverently and carefully they would write the name of God. They would sanctify themselves before they would even be willing to write their name. And here Joshua says, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And listen, we need folks who sanctify themselves. Um, uh, Peter talks about sanctifying ourselves that we may be ready to give an answer of the hope that lieth within us. But the truth is, it's Christ's role with the church saints to sanctify us. How does he do this? Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with what? The washing of the water by the word. The word of God is to wash over us. The word of God is is to sanctify us. Now, here's the application before we move on to letter A. Again, we're talking about the people's preparation. We want you to be prepared to overcome sin and leave carnal living behind and move forward and enjoy all that God has in His promised land for you spiritually. Here's the application. Here's how you can prepare yourself. Before you can move forward by faith, uh, before you can cross into the Jordan, uh, the Jordan River into victory over sin, you must first bathe your mind, your heart, and your soul in the water of God's Word. You must, you must, uh, you must totally uh, saturate your mind and heart with God's Word. Uh, you know, I have found that my flesh, I preached pretty hard against sin this morning, I have found that my flesh loves sin. And I have found that your flesh loves sin. Our flesh is just bent toward death and destruction. You know, if I'm by myself and I turn on the TV, you know what I'm tempted to watch? I'm tempted to watch a bunch of things I ought not be watching. If 
If I'm by myself and I'm flipping through my phone, and I've got guards and protections on my phone, but if I have a phone in my hand that's un, well, unbridled access to the Internet, I'm tempted to look at all kinds of things I shouldn't be looking at. If I'm by myself and I'm going somewhere and I don't feel like I've got someone looking over my shoulder, I'm tempted to do all kinds of things that are wrong. You say, Pastor, how is it that you keep yourself from falling in those traps? You must saturate your mind and your soul and your heart in the water of God's Word. You must prepare yourself. You must sanctify yourself if you're going to overcome sin. Hey, instead of put, turning on a TV show that's going to pump garbage into your heart, why don't you open up the Bible and read it? Or open up a Bible app and play uh, the, uh, the, the audio Bible into your ears. Why don't you work on memorizing a verse of Scripture? Why don't you ask God to sanctify you by the washing of water by the Word? You'll never overcome sin unless you prepare your heart to do so. Letter A. The people's preparation, letter B, the priest's position, the priest's position. Look at verse number six. Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, take up the ark of the covenant, pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went, notice their position here, before the people. The priests led the people here in this great uh, victory. Now, the people were led by the priests. They were at this time the spiritual leaders of the country, they carried the Ark of the Covenant. Now, God has worked through different types of people uh, throughout the Bible uh, to lead His uh, lead, to lead God's people, but He's always had a leader for His people. Going back into the Old Testament, you had prophets and priests, and uh, then uh, for a while there were kings that would lead the people spiritually, and then you move into the New Testament, and you had Jesus, and then the apostles that worked to establish the church and write the Scripture that were the spiritual authority and now that the church has been established and we're in the established church era it is pastors that are elders that God has called to lead his people forward and notice the order here they had to sanctify themselves and then follow their spiritual leadership into victory letter c we see joshua's promotion Look at verse number 7. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. God does not share His glory with another man. It doesn't matter who it is. God does not share His glory with another man. God alone gets all the glory. And when man tries to step up and take some of that glory for himself, he is putting himself in a very, very, very dangerous place with God. He alone is to be glorified. However, God does need men to lead others to follow a greater plan that He has in place. Joshua already had God's authority way back in chapter 1. But he needed to lead these people to victory as they obeyed the Lord. And through God's working in Joshua's direction, 
He would be established as Israel's leaders. Let me speak to you men in here tonight, you husbands and fathers in here tonight. You have God-given authority to lead your home. But if you're not seeing victories in prayer and victories in growth, it makes it very hard for a wife or children to look up to you and follow you. What can you put your finger on in the last five years and say, boy, God has grown me there. What can your wife or children look at and say, you're a better man here than you were because you walk with God? Where have you and your wife gotten on your knees together in prayer and you led the prayer time and you saw answered prayer and your wife now looks to you as a spiritual leader because you were the one that had the idea. A lot of men get drugged to church by their wife and drug into family devotions by their wife and drug into prayer time by their wife. No, sir, you get up and you lead the way and you see victories and you bring about the ability to lead your family forward. God said to Joshua, I'm going to promote you today. I'm going to elevate you today because you're going to lead my people and I'm going to help establish your leadership. Now, Joshua was a sinner. Joshua was flawed. We'll see some of Joshua's flaws in the weeks to come. But even though he was a sinner and he was flawed, Joshua was God's man. And his role was to lead uh, and, and Israel's role was to follow. God received the glory and Joshua received validation. Letter D. Let's look at verses 9 through 13. Let's look at Joshua's plan. So God gives Joshua the plan and Joshua gives the plan to God's people. Look at verse number 9. Joshua said unto the children of Israel, come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And he gives God the credit. He says, I'm going to tell you what the plan is. This is coming right from God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Parasites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. These were all the people groups that, uh, that, that lived in their land. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan now therefore... Take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel. We'll look at those twelve men next week and what they did. Out of every tribe, a man, it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand, they the waters shall stand Upon in heat. What was Joshua's plan? Here was Joshua's plan. Have the priests bear the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, step into the waters of the Jordan River. Once they had gotten their feet wet, God was going to cause the river to open and the land to be dried up so that the million plus people could just walk right across. Now, Warren Wearsby worded it this way. He said, as we review these five messages, that's the five I covered with you at the beginning of the point, we can see that the Lord gave them 
all the information they needed to accomplish what he wanted them to do. You find conditions that the people had to fulfill, orders that they uh, orders they had to obey, and promises they had to believe. Here's what I want you to get from this. He continues on. God always, always gives his word of faith to his people whenever he asks them to follow him into new areas of conflict and conquest. He always gives us those words. The question is this, are we going to trust and obey? Are we going to trust and obey? The song says this, trust and obey for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to just trust and obey. The words of faith. I I will say this before we move on to number two. Let me talk to you about uh, personal struggle, overcoming personal struggle. I've had sins that have entrenched themselves down into my life before. It took me decades to defeat. Pet sins, private sins. Hidden sins. And I can remember thinking, I know 1 Corinthians 10 says that there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. I know the verse says that God will provide a way of escape, but I sure can't seem to be able to find that way of escape. I don't know that that's actually true. I've had times where I doubted whether or not I could defeat a sin. Can I tell you that everything you need to defeat your sin, God has already given you those instructions right in the Bible. You have to do the work to study it and find it. Because God's Word is more powerful than a two-edged sword. And it does divide asunder. And it does cut away the sin. You have the words of faith. You have to learn how to put them into practice. Number two, the walk of faith. The walk of faith. Now, everything I have preached today, I taught, taught a marriage class in Spanish this morning. I preached the sermon this morning twice. I was very excited about all that. And I have just preached you point one of the sermon. But of everything that I have had to say today, I am more excited about point two of the Sunday evening sermon than anything else I have preached all day. All right? I think you're going to see why in just a minute. Let's talk about the walk of faith. Let's look at this miracle, this fabulous miracle that happened. And let's make some applications to us. Letter A, we see their action toward progress. Their action, their action toward progress. Look at Joshua 3 and look at verse number 14. It came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan... And the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. So they have removed themselves from their tents. Look there. Don't miss that. That's a very vital thing. They've been given the instructions. They get up out of their tents and they move forward toward Jordan. Uh, They were given their orders and they acted upon them and did exactly as Joshua had commanded. Flip over one book to the left there, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 6. Turn over to Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Moses had been preparing this generation for this very moment. Uh, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Moses took the time to teach this generation the law that he had given their parents, but he taught them all 
all over again. He had given it to their parents. They had rejected it. Then he sat down with them. Their parents are dying in the wilderness. Their carcasses are being buried in the wilderness. He's having meetings with this younger crowd. And he's not going to be able to see the promised land himself. But he's preparing them to go in and uh, and take possession of this promised land. I think about a coach who uh, day one of practice begins to get his team ready to play in the championship game at the end of the season. He carefully coaches them and prepares them so that when the moment comes, they're ready to step up and the moment is not too big for them. Moses had prepared them for this moment of crossing the Jordan River. He had made sure they were ready to do that. Look down at verse 23. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look at verse 23. Moses says, And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us this land which he swear unto our fathers. Hey, what is Moses saying here? He's saying God brought us out of Egypt so that he could bring us into the promised land. He didn't bring us out of Egypt to hang out here in the desert and die. He brought us out of Egypt so that he could bring us in. Hey, my friend, God did not bring you out of the bondage of sin to let you wander around the wilderness of carnality living in the same sins that you were saved of so that you could wander and die. He saved you so you'd have progress toward that promised land. He brought you out of Egypt so He could bring you in to a victorious Christian life. He wants you by faith to march forward and move forward by faith and conquer uh, the promised land. Look with me over at Numbers chapter 14. Uh, Many Christians choose not to move forward by faith. They choose not to cross their Jordan River, but rather they long for Egypt and all that they lost from before uh, they had even gotten saved. They look back over their shoulder at what they had but when, when they were living in the bondage of sin and they don't want Jordan. They don't want to cross it. They don't want the promised land. They're looking backwards to Egypt. Look at Numbers 14, verse 1. All the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, uh, and the people wept that night. And that all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness, and wherefore hath the Lord brought us up unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey, were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. They were not looking forward at victory. They were looking backwards at the world and they wanted to go backwards to the world. They wanted to go backwards to being lost. They wanted to go backwards to their old music. They wanted to go backwards to their old TV shows. They wanted to go backwards to their old friends. They wanted to go backwards to their old language. They wanted to go backwards to the pain that all of that had to do. They didn't want victory. They wanted to go back and live in defeat. And you know what? They never went back to Egypt, but I'm going to tell you what they did do. They wandered in the wilderness and they died in their carnality. And so many Christians today, they don't want to move forward by faith. They just want what they have right now. Wearsby worded it this way. He said, in the Christian life, you're either an overcomer or you're overcome. You're either a victor or you are a victim Unbelief says, let's go back to where it's safe. But faith says, let's go forward to where God is working. We live in a day and time where people are just, they're just hyper-focused on being a victim. I mean, everyone wants to be a victim. I don't get it. 
You be a victim. I want to be a victor. You be overcome. I want to be an overcomer. You go ahead and go backwards in life. I want to move forward for the Lord. And I want to be a man of faith who moves forward for the Lord. Many of you have been wandering in the desert of carnality and spiritual emptiness far too long. And God says move toward victory. You must choose to trust and obey. Letter B, we, see, we saw letter A, their action toward progress. Letter B, notice their awareness of God's presence. Joshua 3, look at verse 15. Go back to Joshua 3 with me, look at verse 15. And as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. Now, ten times the ark is mentioned in this one chapter. The ark was the seat where God's presence dwelled among His people. Go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 25. I want you to see the importance of this ark. Because there is, there is a great hidden gem right here for us to uncover uh, that will really help us overcome sin, overcome carnality, and move forward in a great way for the Lord. Exodus 25, look at verse 16. The Lord is instructing Moses here. He says, And thou shalt put into the ark of uh, into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. That's the Ten Commandments. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work. Shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub uh, on the one end and the other cherub on the other end. Are you picturing this? Even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their face shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. Look at verse 22. God says this, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I gave thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. This was the seat of God. What made the Ark of the Covenant so special? Hollywood's tried to hijack the Ark of the Covenant and make movies out of it. What made this piece of furniture so special? It wasn't the piece of furniture per se. It wasn't the wood per se. What made this Ark so special was that the mercy seat sat upon the Ark and God dwelled on that mercy seat. God's presence was amongst His people there at that mercy seat. Boy, it's fascinating. If you study the positioning of the Israelites around the tabernacle where the mercy seat and the ark dwelled, they were uh, laid out by Moses, and God instructed this, but they were laid out by Moses to form the shape of a cross around that tabernacle where the mercy seat dwelled and that tabernacle that mercy seat was right there where that cross met 
that's where the Lord dwelled, at the crux of the cross, where the people walked. God's presence was there. And when those men were bearing that ark, they were bearing the presence of God. They walked up there to the edge of that water and they put their feet in the water. They stepped into that water. They waded out just a little bit deeper. And what happened? The water with God's presence there opened up before them and they all were able to cross. Why? Because they had God's presence to overcome. What a beautiful thing. Now hear me. In order to move forward by faith, and cross your Jordan River, to overcome your battle, to walk into spiritual victory, you must first choose to get out of your tent and act. You must choose to walk toward that Jordan River. You must decide to obey God's commands. But hear me out now, without His presence in your life, you'll never make it, you'll drown. You must walk with God. You must establish a prayer life. You must fall in love with your Bible. You must know what it's like to get on your knees and pray and almost feel like God is right there with you. You say, well, I tried praying once or twice and I just felt like my prayers were bouncing all over a room. I'd say, you need to prevail. You need to get on your knees. You need to keep on praying until you see God come through. You'll never overcome until you know what it is like to have God's presence. When you have God's presence and you're acting in obedience, you can see God do some incredible things. You can see God perform miracles in your life. The priest bearing the presence of God stepped into the waters and then miracles took place. The Jordan River dried up right before their eyes. They were able to leave desert living behind and move into the land that flowed with abundance. Let's look at letter C. Their appetite to see God's power. Look at verse 16. Oh, this is good. Joshua 3, verse 16. Then the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon an heap very far from the city Adam. This is beside Zeratin. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut up. And the people passed over right after Jericho. So the Jordan River sees two rainy seasons every year, one in the fall and one in the spring. The one at harvest time, which is where we're at here, it has historically been the bigger of the two rainfalls. In fact, uh, in non-rainy seasons, the Jordan River at its smallest is about or was about 100 feet in width. But during the harvest season, the river would swell in width to be a thousand feet wide. And there would be quite a current that would flow through. There was no way, humanly speaking, to get a million people with their children across that water with all of their cattle. I'm sure those in Jericho must have felt quite safe knowing that at least until harvest is over and the river shrinks, we're safe from these people. But when God got involved, He dammed up the water he dammed up the water there several miles up the way. The waters flowed on down past them toward the, uh, toward the Dead Sea. And you know what they were able to do? They were to walk right across into dry ground. In many ways, this miracle was greater than the Red Sea parting. Once they stepped foot in the water, God did a great work. I'm thankful for my Christian heritage. I grew up riding the coattails of my parents 
and seeing their faith and my pastor's faith, I grew up and I saw churches grow. I saw buildings filled. I saw people discipled. I saw God give land to other churches or large sums of money to build buildings uh, that were used to do incredible things. I saw drug addicts get cleaned up as they got saved and serious about the Lord. As a little boy, I watched my parents' faith and my pastor's faith as broken marriages got restored and helped. I saw, as a child and teenager, I saw wayward adult children come home to the Lord. But let me say this evening, that was my parents' generation. I'm thankful for what God did for them. But I want God to do it for me. And I want God to do it for my generation. I'm not content to live in the past. I'm thankful for all of the Red Seas that God has parted in generations past. But I want to see God do something great with me in this generation. I'm thankful for Pastor Brown. I count him a friend and a mentor and someone I can lean on in times of counsel. And I'm thankful for all that God brought him through in starting this church and the miracle God worked to see this property bought. I'm thankful for all the miracles that God did during his pastorate. But I want God to do something for us. I want God to show Himself mighty and strong. I have an appetite to see God do it again for you and for me. But notice that for this miracle to happen, these people had to be in one accord. They had to be, they had to be in lockstep as they came out of their tents, willing to do their part. Oh, my friend, nobody sat in their tent and said, we be not able. We can't do it. The task is too big. That sounds too expensive. It can't be done. I'll let everybody else do it. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. They followed God's leadership. They got up out of their tents at His instruction. They marched toward the Jordan River. And by faith, they moved forward. And what did they get to see? You see, they had heard about how God had parted the Red Sea for their parents. But they got to see God do something even greater for them. Their appetite to see God's power. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Or are you just, eh, yeah, my desert living works. Eh, I'm okay with the marriage that just puts along and gets by. Eh, you know what? Uh, yeah, I got a couple sins in my life that are nagging me, but eh, whatever. Eh, my walk with God is not really there, but you know what? I go to church and pastor's walk is good enough for me. Eh, I'm up and I'm down, but hey, that's life. Or are you hungry to live in the promised land? Are you hungry to see God do something great in your life? Are you ready for your marriage to move to the next level? Are you ready to move to the next level as a Christian? Are you ready to see God use this church to turn this city and this community upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because I sure am. I sure am. But I can't do it by myself. And the handful of us that are passionate about it, we can't do it alone. We must lock arms. We must come out of our tents. And we must move forward for the Lord. Oh, I don't want to just see God do something great for my parents or my grandparents or my great-grandparents. I want God to show Himself strong and mighty and powerful in this generation right here. Are you hungry for it? 
If so, how hungry are you? How hungry are you to see God do something great through this local church body? In the 1730s, there was a revival that took place in this country. And in the 1830s, there was a revival that took place in this country. And in the 1930s, there was a revival that took place in this country. Does anybody know what's getting ready to come up on the calendar? You know what? Every time a revival happened, America had slipped into deep sin. And then, boy, they came roaring back for the Lord. Hey, that spark's got to start somewhere. Why can't it start right here in New England? Why can't it start with the Christians at White Oak Baptist Church? I guess I want to ask this evening, are you willing to be uncomfortable? Are you willing to get your feet wet for the Lord? Are you willing to wait out a little bit deeper as you walk by faith? Number three, lastly, we see the work of faith. Look at verse 17. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground. They stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. These priests led the way. They had the Ark of the Covenant on their back. They stepped out in the water. They waded in up to their ankle or their knee or their waist. I don't know how far, but at some point they walked in deep enough with the Ark on their shoulder and the waters parted. Uh, rather, the waters stopped up and ran downstream. And there they walked to the middle of that uh, great Jordan riverbed. They stood there with the Ark on their shoulders and on came by the million plus Israelites. They crossed over that Jordan River. God is looking through this world today for a man or woman who is filled with great faith. He is looking through our church. And when He comes to you, will He find a man or woman who is willing to get up and move forward by faith? You see, God does the work, but He works through our faith. God looks down and sees a group of people who are content to live in mediocrity, wander in the desert of their sin, and He says, okay, I guess I'll look for another church. Okay, I guess I'll move on to the next Christian. Okay, I guess not here. Okay, I guess not this city. Okay, I guess not this state. Okay, I guess not this country. Is there a man, is there a woman who's willing to move forward by faith and let me do a great work through him? Matthew twenty-one twenty-one. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also, if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. I'm talking about mountain-moving faith. It's time to move forward by faith. Oh, I'm talking about our church, but I'm talking about you. I'm talking about that desert living that you've been doing for far too long. I'm talking about that sin that's got a grip on you. It's time to move forward by faith. It's time for you to cross your Jordan River. It's time to leave carnality and shallow Christian living behind. 
It's time to live in the land of victory that Christ promises to His children who are willing to simply trust and obey. Lord, I pray tonight You'd help us to be hungry to see Your power. Oh God, I want to see You do great things in my life privately. I want to see You do great things in the lives of these people. And Lord God, publicly.